Good morning. This summer for our family has been an especially exciting one. We're expecting baby boy number two at the end of December. Three away from a starting five. We move, we, we move to Lakewood in March, and this is our first summer in our new home. Um, we took our first family sabbatical in May, and it was a, a real blessing to us and something that uh, was really important to our family. And also, and most importantly right now, for the day-to-day logistics of our life at home, we're now living with a two-year-old. And now, don't get me wrong, having Hudson, and you parents know, it's the greatest joy, the greatest human joy of your life to watch your child become who they are. That being said, watching them become a two-year-old comes with some new things. One of the things that we're working really hard on right now is inviting Hudson into the things that he doesn't necessarily want to do. And so something that Mindy is prioritizing is inviting him to clean up his toys, to help clean up his toys. And the response is almost always, I can't clean up dino. I can't clean up truck. Well, last weekend, Mindy had planned this really awesome Christmas in August for us. So she put, had put on Christmas music, she bought uh, Hudson a new book, and most importantly, she had gotten everything we needed to make Christmas cookies. We told Hudson about this, he was excited about it the whole day. He was saying, Christmas cookies, Christmas cookies, Christmas cookies. We've learned uh, our mistake not to tell him something the day or the week before. At the earliest, it's day of. So we finished dinner, and we took him out of his high chair, and we we were still going to finish eating ourselves. We took him out of his high chair, and he goes running to his room. And as he goes, I see him run by this little bell pepper on the ground that he had flung out of his high chair. So as he's going, I say, Hudson, can you please pick up your bell pepper? And I see him running to his room. He goes, I can't. So he runs into his room, and Mindy and I are sitting at the table, just the two of us, and we look at each other. You know, we get on the same page. We're like, are we doing this? We saw it in each other's eyes, but we wanted to make sure we verbalized it. Are we doing this? We agree, yes. Before we do Christmas cookies, he is going to pick up the bell pepper, no matter what. And we knew what that entailed, so we had to be on the same page, right? A united front. So we're doing the dishes. He comes out of his room. And he comes walking over, and I I, I walk over, and I get down on his level. And I say, Hudson, we are so excited to do Christmas cookies. But first, we're asking you to pick up the bell pepper. I said, Hudson, when you pick up the bell pepper, we will do Christmas cookies. I promise. So he looked at me, (laughs) and he looked at the bell pepper. (laughs) He looked back at me. And he grabbed the paper towel that was in my hands. He wiped it up and he handed it right back to me. I made a promise to him and I saw how it changed him and then how he responded to it. I'm excited today to close out our series on the promises of God. We'll be reading from Philippians 1, 3 to 11, looking at how God's promise to us changes us and then calls us to something beyond ourselves. Let me pray. God, I ask that you are in this time, that you are purposing it, that you are speaking through me. God, that, that my words are your words, and we, we know that they do not come back empty. I pray that your words today are like an oasis in the desert, that we can rest 
and be restored, be refreshed by your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Philippians 1. Um, for those watching online, we don't have slides today, so I pray that you open your Bibles with us. I'm going to start with the promise itself. This is verses 3 to 6, Philippians 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's the promise, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The promise to us in verse 6 is that God will author the salvation of his children. That's the he who began a good work in you. And that God will deliver us without fail into eternal glorification. That's the we'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The first part of the promise, God promises to save and justify his children. This word for began in the Greek is used only two times in the New Testament, and in both instances, it's referring to God's working of salvation in the life of his people. The began a good work is the one-time event where we go from uh, unrighteous, guilty, sinful before the Lord to being washed by the blood of Jesus and are now, are now holy, seen as sinless, um, and adopted as his children. We go from being orphans to being adopted. And Paul in verse 6 is confirming that God is the one responsible for bringing about the salvation of his children. And this is an actual promise from the Lord. He promises that he will, without fail, see to completion the salvation, the adoption of every single one of his children. And the rest of scripture echoes this. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we know that God says he promises to adopt each and every one of his children. He promises to be responsible and see that his children come to faith. Yet we also know that we're saved by faith. And faith is something that is inside of us. So how do these two things come together? That God is responsible and yet we have faith in us. I believe that's in Hebrews 12 too, where it says that Jesus is the author of our faith. In some translations, it says the founder or the originator of our faith. And so God is fulfilling this promise to us. He's fulfilling the promise to begin a good work in us, to see his children to salvation by actually producing the saving faith in our lives. If you were on a hike and there's a sheer cliff dropping off to your right, the wind blows, you take a couple stumbles, you fall over the edge of the cliff and you reach up and you grab the cliff with one hand and you're hanging there. And you can't pull yourself up. And somebody reaches down from your group and says, hey, grab my hand. And you're looking there and you're holding on with one hand. And then you reach up and you grab their hand and they pull you up. They pull you up onto the ledge. Everyone comes around you. They celebrate. Would your group say to you, I can't believe what you did. That was so brave of you to grab that hand. I could never do what you did grabbing that hand. In that situation, 
every responsibility for seeing you saved in that moment was the person who put down their hand. You grabbed the hand, but you could only grab it because it was theirs. God's promise here is that no matter what, when his children look for that hand to grab in faith, it will be theirs, no matter what. Second, in this verse, God promises to finish his divine work in the lives of his children in our full glorification. Back to verse 6, Paul said that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's promise is that what he began in our salvation, he will see through to its full completion. And that completion is what we call glorification. The day of Jesus Christ is revealing uh, to the time when Jesus is made fully present, fully visible, when, when it's fully realized at the end times past this age. That is our eternity in heaven. And so God's promising glorification to us, promising an eternal glorification with Jesus, and we see a picture of this in Revelation 21, 2 to 5. I'll read this to you. Picture this as I read this. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Picture this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there, shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what awaits us. This is the picture that is promised to us in glorification for all of eternity. And Paul's reminder of this promise to the Philippians was very intentional. As a church, they were suffering poverty, persecution, temptations toward internal division and strife. They needed the hope to know that there was something that they were staking their lives in beyond what they were experiencing in the then and now. And we need that same thing. Because Paul says, if there is no glorification waiting for us, then we're all fools. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And he goes on. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I love dating Mindy. It was really, really fun. And it was a really exciting time for us to get to know each other, to see what God was doing in our lives. And I was even more excited to get engaged. But if on that day when we got engaged, after the party, we celebrated with our family and our friends, if after that in the quiet moment, just the two of us, she looked at me and she said, Lauren, I'm so happy to be engaged, but I've been thinking about it. This is as far as I want to take the relationship. So I'll wear this ring. I won't wear a second ring. You never have to wear a ring. We'll live where we are and we'll just do this. We'll be engaged forever. <laughs> I love Mindy. That would be the worst. That would be horrible. 
And everyone who knew me, who learned of that arrangement, would look at me and tell me, Lauren, you are a fool. You are a fool for committing yourself to, yourself to something, for staking your life on something that's never going to come to fruition. Thankfully, God promises that this period of engagement is temporary. We are, as a bride, being prepared for the groom. And the time will soon come when the groom comes in the night and will be ushered into the feast of our master to eternal glory. And that's a promise. That's God's promise to us in Philippians 1.6. Engagement is temporary, and something better is coming. So God makes this promise to us to begin and bring to completion the adoption of his children. It begs the question, so what? And this is the question I want to explore. I think there's two things here. One, what is the effect of this promise? What does this promise do to us? And then two, what is the call of this promise? What do we do in light of God's promise to us? Promises are powerful. They're powerful. And of course, this makes sense when we're thinking about the big promises we make in our life. The promise we make to commit to our spouse in marriage. The promises we make to our children to love them, to care for them, to provide for them every day. Those make sense. But I think the idea that a promise is powerful is even more apparent when we look at the way a child receives a promise. I think it's undeniable. Pastor Barry mentioned it uh, earlier in this series. As we get older, I think we become more cynical about how we receive promises. We adopt more and more and I'll believe it when I see it mindset. And with a child, that's just not the case. So I want to share a few examples of promises with you. And I really want to invite you, I want to invite us, encourage us to be open with connecting with these emotionally. Um, so listen to these either as a child or either as your child receiving them from you or maybe you receiving them from your parent as a child. Let me read these. It's okay, you can lay back down. There's nothing to worry about. I promise. I'm running right next to you. Just keep pedaling. I will catch you. I promise. I know you're nervous, but kindergarten's going to be awesome. I will be waiting for you right here when you're done. I promise. You can tell me the truth. I will always love you no matter what. I promise. I know you're scared, but the doctors are helping you, and God is always with you. I promise. A parent reminds their child of these promises to bring them steadfastness, encouragement, hope. And to a, to a child, this promise is, inspires. It changes. It changes them. During college, uh, I taught swim lessons during the summer uh, in my parents' backyard. And one of the things that I would work on with a non-swimming student, my focus for the summer with a student who didn't know how to swim was simply how to get them in a swimming position. That's head down and legs up. We wouldn't work on arms or legs kicking to start. We just wanted to get them in a swimming position. 
And so I would put them on a ledge in the pool, you know, yay deep, and I would stand back a bodily length and I would go like this. And now nine times out of ten, if I stood there and I said, okay, I'm ready, jump. They'd look at me and be like, I'm not jumping. <laughs> but if I stepped back and I got down and I looked them in the eyes and I said, okay, I'm ready. I will catch you. I promise. I'd see them stand on that ledge kind of turn towards me to get ready, close their eyes, and prepare to jump. Promises are powerful, and they have an effect on us. So what is the effect of God's promise? Let's look at uh, Philippians 1, now in verses 9 to 11. I'll read this to you. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God's promise is that he will adopt and he will glorify his children, and the effect on us is that for the rest of our lives, we're made to be more and more and more like Jesus. Paul says that we will abound in love we will enjoy the spiritually excellent things, grow in holiness, be filled with the fruit of righteousness, righteousness, and in all of this, glorify and praise the Lord. Yes, we are saved 100%, and there is no question that we have an eternal glorification waiting for us. But right now, we're stuck in the middle. We're in this in-between. We are adopted sons and daughters living in a broken world, in broken bodies, and this journey that we're on day by day is the journey that we live for the rest of our lives after the moment that we come to faith. And this is the process of sanctification. God's promise changes us that we may continually be increasing in love, growing in holiness, approving what is excellent. And as I was meditating on this verse, that phrase stuck out to me, approving what is excellent. I think that is so profound simple, yet the idea that as we grow to be more like Jesus, grow uh, in our spiritual maturity, that we would think better of what is good, and would, we would think less of what is not good, I think if we wrestled with that, that would have a profound impact on our lives. And so like a child climbing onto their bike for the first time, their father says, I will catch you, I promise. They take a deep breath, they grow in confidence, and they start to pedal. God tells his children, you are my beloved. I have justified you, and I will glorify you. I promise. And we as his children, we breathe in the spirit, and then we live a life more and more like Jesus every day. So God promises our salvation glorification. It changes us. And now we see that it calls us. Let's go back in Philippians 1 um, to 3 to 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And here it is. Here's the call. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
In the analogy of a child receiving a promise, there's two effects. One, the kindergartner grows in confidence, and then two, he turns, gives his mother a hug, and walks into class. A promise made is often an opportunity to respond. I mentioned it earlier, but the Philippian church, um, there's some really important context about it. The Philippian church was poor, desperately poor, and yet out of that poverty, they were continually giving to Paul and what he was doing. Uh, the church was under persecution, and yet Paul notes that they were overflowing with joy. They had abundant joy as a church. Paul's making it clear that those who have received the promise of salvation have a calling to be like the Philippians. The Philippians were truly partnered with him in his mission. The Philippians were a true picture of gospel partnership. And Paul notes this in his other letters to other churches. He says, be like this church. Look at the example of this church. So here's the truth. God makes a promise to us, and this promise invites us to respond as faithful partners in his mission, to be gospel partners here on earth. The Greek word for partnership in verse 5 is koinonia. And koinonia is this amazing Greek word that isn't just helping one another. It's deep spiritual partnership uh, centered on the risen Jesus. It's not just mowing your neighbor's lawn. It's partnering with other believers and being connected with other believers. To me, koinonia has a really special meaning. Mount Hermon is a GEMS youth camp that I'm sure most of us are familiar with um, in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And I had the opportunity to actually be at the high school camp for 10 out of 11 years, three of them as a conferee and then seven on staff. And the high school camp in this Mount Hermon uh, conference grounds, uh, group of conference grounds, the high school camp is named Camp Koinonia. And to me, this is the perfect, perfect name. Koinonia is tucked in the Santa Cruz Mountains. It's, it's centered in this little valley of trees with this huge grass expanse in the middle, huge trees on either side, super fresh air. There's a beautiful dining hall and sanctuary on either end of, of the grass. Um, most importantly for the staff, it's the only camp where you go and you lose cell service. So when you are there, you are truly there. And now most important, there's this feeling that you get. There's this electricity that exists when the kids start to show up. Staff arrives on Sunday mornings. The kids usually arrive between two and four. And first they come in cars, and then they come in buses. There's usually three buses. And when those buses arrive, these kids come pouring out of the bus, pouring out of their cars, getting dropped off, running so excited to see each other and the staff that they hadn't seen for the whole year. They're all spread across the West Coast, some coming from the East Coast, some from Hawaii. And there's this electricity that exists as everyone is so excited to be together after a year of waiting. And not just be together, but be together worshiping the Lord together. Koinonia is a unique joy specific to believers to be together in the presence of God. So God's promise calls us to be in Koinonia. And what does this actually look like? What does this look like for us? And now this could be a whole sermon series on its own. So I'm just going to share three very quick things. One, to be in Koinonia, we have to desire and seek connection with the one who calls us. 
Koinonia is fellowship, partnership with believers connected on the risen Jesus. If we're not filled, connected to, enjoying the Lord, how can we possibly be in Koinonia with other believers? Two, I believe to be in Koinonia, we must be committed to a local church. Now, in the United States, I think this is how God is working in his people, is through the local church. And whether this is Catalyst, or it's a huge church, or a tiny two or three family home church, I think our calling is to be committed members of one local church. And three, we must pursue connection with believers within our church community and with those who are on the periphery or outside who we are investing in uh, mutually. We must connect with those believers over our desire to see the gospel made great. Koinonia is translated as fellowship. And now the fellowship of the ring did not get together with the plans to go see the elves in Lorien for the weekend and make it back by second dinner. The fellowship of the ring got together knowing that they were going to go to Mordor and save Middle-earth or they were going to die in the process. Koinonia with believers is not our pizza parties on Friday night with youth group. It's not our small groups. It's not uh, lunch after church. It's not even Sunday service. Koinonia with fellow believers is deep partnership where we are seeking to see how God can be made great in our lives, the lives of our community, the lives of our nation and the world. And all those things that I said might be part of that. But ultimately, it's a deep connection, desiring to see the gospel made great. As we wind down uh, our series on promises, there's one final thing I want to leave us with before we close. Life is full of promises. We go to work because our companies promise to pay us. We pay our rents and our mortgages because we're promised a place to live. We even wait at line at McDonald's because at the end of the drive-thru, we're promised our french fries. Yet, almost every one of the promises that we make and are a part of are two-sided. If one party fails to uphold their end, the full promise is null and void. If we don't work, we won't get paid. If we don't pay our mortgages, the promise of a place to live dries up in foreclosure. This is from as big to our paychecks to as small as our french fries. But God's promise to us in Philippians is not conditional on anything we do. God's promise to us in Philippians is not conditional on anything we do. God's promise is conditional. I'll say that again. God's promise is conditional. But the condition of that promise has been met now and for eternity by the finished work of Jesus on the cross and raised again. We can receive the promise of adoption and future glorifi glorification unconditionally because Jesus has met the conditions now and forever. So that when we inevitably fail to be good gospel partners or we have a day, a week, a month, a decade 
where our life does not look more like Jesus at the end of it than it did right now? That promise made to us in Philippians is no less our own in that moment as it is at any other. So as we close, three quick questions to ask ourselves. Number one, and this is the most important, this is the only one that matters eternally. Is this promise yours? Is the promise of adoption and future glorification, is this yours? And if it's not, and you'd like to know more, um, whether you're here or you're watching, we, I just encourage you to tell someone at Catalyst. Email a pastor. I think their, their emails are on the website. Talk to whoever brought you today. Tell somebody so that they can share the good news of this promise with you. Two, when you look at the trajectory of your life, do you see yourself imaging forth more of Jesus now than you did last week, three months ago, a year ago, five years ago? I think for the most part, we can answer this question ourselves with decent amounts of truth. But if you really want to get an honest opinion, maybe ask your parents or your really close friend or even your spouse. Now, spouses, let's approach this in truth and love, but I think this is a mutual opportunity to see, is our life becoming more and more like Jesus? And third, are you partnering in the gospel with other believers? Are you seeking to grow together? Are you seeking that you may actually image forth and reflect more of Jesus? Are you seeking to see uh, the gospel, the good news spread in this church, in our community, in our nation? The only question that matters eternally is number one. But I think number two and number three are like check engine lights. Uh, for those who have put their faith in Jesus. This promise will always be ours, and it's our joy to let it permeate our lives. Let me pray. God, you are good to us, and you love us. You are always for us. God, and we know that if we have put our faith in you, God, that this promise is forever ours and we are blessed to watch it change us and we are excited to respond to its call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It would be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything. And be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus.